Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of hard not to be stirred, stirred after worship like that. You see all these babies up here. I was thinking, Ruth, I've already turned around once and mine's eight. I don't want to turn around anymore. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. The other day, uh, actually it was maybe Friday, Friday evening, I guess, or maybe Saturday. It was Friday evening. Just after that big rainstorm, one of the things I like to do is I like to watch those creeks flow and I go get my fishing pole and head towards the creek, baby. Looking for them catfish, man. That water rises. They're swimming up in there, you know. And I know I'm bound to catch one there, right there, yeah. Other times I can't hardly get to fish if they're not biting like that, but that's okay. Took Callie with me that day, and uh, I kind of talked her into it. The last time we went fishing out in the creek, she said, Daddy, she said, I'm not going back to the creek with you. She found a tick on her leg and I think on her hand. She said, I'm not going with you again. She goes, I'll go on the docks with you if, if you want to go, but I'm not going on the creek with you. So I said, okay, no problem. But this time I got to thinking, man, it's just more fun with your baby, right? So I told her, I said, hey, I'll make you a deal. I'll carry you on my back. And then that way, dude, that was so stupid. And you know the story's going to be good when you start out with that was stupid, right? So, so I put her on my back, and of course, you know, you're not thinking. I'm thinking we're going to go on a piggyback ride. But then you got two fishing poles, and, and what is absolute with an eight-year-old is snacks, right? I am not, I don't care if we're going to Washington, D.C., and I'm shaking hands with Donald Trump, okay, President Donald Trump. If there's not snacks there, I'm not going. All right? Okay, I got you, I got you. So we put snacks. I decide, well, I need an ice chest too. So, uh, yeah, I'm so stupid. So I, I, I get out of the back of the car, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I got her on my back, and uh, I got the ice chest and two fishing poles. And it was good crossing the road because it wasn't high weeds. And then I crossed the road, and the first 100 feet was horrible, man. I finally just gave up and said, well, let's turn around and go around the other side of the bank. So I turned around and went around the other side of the bank, and we finally got to where we were, okay? So the water's running. There's this little tributary that runs into it. It's down there. If you guys know where Rose Road is, wild horse flows up into it, and there's a little tributary that rose into it. Matter of fact, it was flowing so good that there were some catfish even swimming up in that little tributary. But I wasn't interested in the catfish because I was trying to keep us alive, right? So, and, and so anyways, so we, we go down, and I finally go around. I'm hard-headed, so I'm like, oh, we're going to do this. And, uh, and we go around, and we finally finally get her on the bank, and about five minutes into it, she's getting some bites, and I'm thinking, this is going great. Well, about five minutes into it, there's some red spots that appear on her arm. Yes, yes. So I'm thinking, my wife is going to kill me. That's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, that's the first thought. My second thought is, I'm going to have a kid in poison ivy, and my third one is, I might get poison ivy. So I've been, you know, preaching with poison ivy, not good. Um, Anyways, so we get back to the house, and I just immediately, I kind of in panic mode, and I'm like, okay, let's just quit, stop what we're doing. And she's disappointed because she's actually getting by. She's about to catch a fish, and she knows it. So I said, well, let's just load up all of her stuff and leave. And she goes, okay. Well, I get her back to the house, and my wife starts laughing at me. And she, she actually told me in the car on the way driving there, she goes, Matt, she fell on the sidewalk earlier. That's the reason why she has red spots on her arm. I'm like, oh, my gosh. See, I did all that work for five minutes of fishing, and it was for nothing. That's all right. You ever done something for nothing, right? We've got to ask the question, why? This morning, I want to come to you with why rooted in purpose. What's our purpose? Let me ask you a very personal question. What's your why? What's your why? Now, why comes over as a mass scale of our life and what we're going to do, but it also comes in individual seasons, right? Seasons change. When I was single, what was my why? When I got married, why did I get married, you know? Uh, why did I have a kid? Um... Now I have grandkids, what's my why there? 
And there's several different things. And as your season changes, your kids grow up and get out of high school and go into college and your why changes. Let me tell you something, seniors. If you don't figure out your why before you go to university, you're going to have 27 different majors and you're going to cost your mom and daddy a whole lot of money that doesn't need to be spent. Okay? If you're going into Votech school, if you're going into some kind of technical institution, if you're going to go out and go hit the marketplace and you don't have a why, you're going to be jumping from university to university or you're going to be getting one job new every six months and you're not going to learn and be educated, okay? So it's very important that we hide that why in our heart. And this morning, as I read to you, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus knew from the very get-go his mission, his purpose, his why. And we're going to jump into that here in a little bit. Last week was such a great uh, message. Pastor encouraged us, walk it out or walk it off. Man, I heard that a lot of times in football. Walk it off. You know, I don't want to look at my coach and tell him to walk it off. You know, you go walk it off. And I didn't. I didn't because I'm a smart man. Okay? I'm smart. And I don't tell my wife that either because I'm smart. Okay? So I get to tell you all that because it's funny. All right? It's funny. My coach told me one time, he said, Matt, he said, whenever I quit communicating with you, that's when you got to worry about it. I went home and told my father, I said, Dad, I think my coach wants to marry with me or marry me. Because that dude yells at me all the time. <laughs> you know, they try to get that out. But why? What do we do? Pastor Mike talked about walking it off. He said, walk in his presence, walk in his ways and word, walk in unity, walk in the fear of the Lord, walk by faith and walk in love. And this morning, I just want to echo what he said. I want to go hand in hand with what he said. What's your why? Why do we do what we do? See here... One translation, my ESV or English Standard Version, whichever one you have, actually changed it from begotten to only. And they didn't do that out of disrespect. Some people got a hold of that begotten term and they tried to convince people that Jesus was created. He wasn't created. He is God, manifest in flesh, the full body head. That's what he is. And in ESV, they went to only son. Now, whenever he was talking to his Jewish audience at this time, and he said, for God so loved the world, and he would have used the term begotten, it's actually monogenes, monogenes, okay? Monogenes would be the Greek word there. And it actually, whenever he said that to that, that phrase, begotten son or only son, whenever he said that to his Jewish audience, they would have thought back to Isaac and Abraham, okay? Now, Abraham did have, a, have, a, have Ishmael first, but that was outside the covenant, right? So Abraham did have Isaac in the covenant of God that was promised, okay? And I think back to that story, and I think about Sarah, and when she laughed, you know, she laughed because she didn't understand it. And I wonder if later, not maybe at that moment, but I wonder if later she laughed again because she was 90 and Abraham would have been 100. And I wonder at one point if they thought, well, how's this going to happen? Because at one point, you don't need to be rolling off beds and sofas, right, trying to, trying to do this stuff. So I wonder if she giggled thinking, you're 90 and I'm 100. How do we do this without getting hurt, man? You know what I mean? I'm just saying, okay? Just saying, all right? How do we do this? And she kind of giggled. Okay, forgive me for that. Forgive me. If you get offended, forgive me, okay? But at one point, you're thinking, what is going on, right? So they have Isaac, and of course Isaac's the promised. And, and then in, in Genesis 22 and 2, it says this. It says, take your son, your only son. So as he was talking to his Jewish audience, they would have gathered that your only son, they would have thought back to Isaac. This means unique, a unique relationship, a one of a kind. In, in some translations, it's alone. That monogenes, alone. On, the only one that has this type of relationship with God. So whenever Jesus said that, of course, he was having this conversation with a man named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. And I'm sure whenever Nicodemus heard that statement, he felt two things that he never felt. First of all, I believe that he felt authority like he had never encountered. Who's this man that speaks with so much authority? But I also wonder if he didn't feel that overwhelming grace of all of a sudden, instead of having that law tagged to you and all that stuff that you can't do, all of a sudden there was a freedom in the room. 
Now listen to me. I don't like some of the theology that we hear, I'll be honest with you. And I'm a millennialist and everything else, but I don't like some of the theology. Listen, Jesus doesn't do everything, okay? Whenever, final work on the, finish, on the cross, whenever he said, it is finished, it was. Everything that I need is, is, was completed on the cross, okay? But, let, but, but to make this clear, and I, this is my belief, the, Jesus, dude, I've got to read the Bible, pray, and seek his face, okay? I've got to say, Jesus Christ, I'm lost. I was dead in my trespasses. That's what the Word of God says. I didn't have a chance. And if I didn't turn around, this is what we tend to do. If God's over here, we're saying, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God, sorry, God, still walking after what we were. When true repentance is turning, walking back towards God and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm changing my life, I'm changing my, my ways. We got to be careful. Jesus didn't. Jesus did accomplish everything that we need, but we got to be willing to do our part. He was the bridge. The chasm was far too wide. It was because of his death, burial, and resurrection, his, his, his sacrifice. And here Jesus is saying this, and he's talking to this Jewish ruler, Nicodemus, and no, no doubt he's dealing with this kind of stuff. What's going on? But he's also thinking back to Isaac at the time, so it's a, it's a very intense situation. And up to this point in Jesus' ministry, it began... On the banks, remember John the Baptist? Behold, behold the Lamb of God. I told you he was coming. I told, there he is. He said it three different times. People thought he was crazy. Well, you eating wild locusts and honey and dressing like a camel, people are going to think you're crazy, okay? It's going to happen. But he's saying, behold the Lamb of God. Amen. And then he started calling disciples, turned the water into wine at Cana. Chases many of the authorities who tried to turn the temple into a place of theft. Then he begins this conversation with Nicodemus. And he finds his why. He states from the very beginning why. Jesus, uh, I'm Jesus and God sent me that I could save all men. And I wonder if Nicodemus felt that tug that many of us have felt. And if you're feeling it this morning, just surrender your life. It's the most beautiful thing. It's confusing sometimes and it's hard. But you can put your faith in Jesus Christ and he'll change you forever. How does all that work? I don't know. I read and I pray and I study and it's a journey and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's my why. Amen? Amen. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, it says, God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge and the truth. That tug may have sounded like this, the Lord not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Peter 3 and 9. Think about Peter's observation on that as he was hearing Jesus quote this, as he was hearing following, and, and he was hearing about Jesus' why. A couple weeks ago we learned that the deaths of all the 12 disciples. But think about their loneliness and their death. They didn't have a crowd surrounding them, yelling at them, cheering them on. We think of it Braveheart sometimes, right? Many of them died alone. But they believed in their why. Their why was so deep inside of them, regardless of what i got to do, I'm going to chase after it. Amen. So this morning you might be in the place where you don't have a why. But you also might be in the place where you've lost your why. Sometimes we misplace that, right? Like Life comes at you fast. Isn't that what the commercial says? Boom, I have a kid. Boom, I'm married. Boom, this. Boom, that. And now I've got bills and i got all this stuff. And what do I do? Why, God? Why am I here? i got to search that out. Or you may be in that place where, man, you know you have your why and you just need to be encouraged. We want to help you out with that this morning too. 
So there's all different places. And why changes seasonally? You have your overarching why of why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm called into ministry, why I'm called to teach. Whenever I taught history and geography, I had to come up with my why in high school. It wasn't just enough to, to teach kids places on maps or teach them events in history, but inspire and encourage and let's learn from the past so we can be great in the present and even greater in the future. Amen? But it's that why that's built so deep within. But this is one thing we got to be cautious of. Your purpose may appear difficult to obtain. Don't stop. Don't stop. It's not a freebie. (laughs) Seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? In Proverbs 20 and 5, it says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. I promise you they're deep waters in teenage years. My goodness. Okay? And the one who has insight draws them out. Who, Who has better insight than God? Nobody, right? So if I'm looking for that purpose, if I'm looking for those waters and the waters that are deep and all-consuming, then I go to God. I go to the source. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's what we've talked about a hundred times, right? Read your Bible and pray. And sometimes it's lingering in the present. Sometimes it's on your knees for a while. Sometimes it's in the midnight hours. You wake up at 2 or 3 and you're pacing your hall, and pacing in your hall or maybe on your couch or whatever. I know for me, whenever I was transitioning from teaching to this, it was 2 o'clock in the morning whenever Jesus spoke to me. I had my Bible closed and he said, I'll open it to Isaiah 45 and 9 because my, 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 my deal was easy. God, I feel like you're telling me to do this, but I don't know if I want to do it. You ever been there? Don't want to. Hmm. And then I read the scripture and it says, Woe! Whenever God says, Woe, you better be paying attention. Woe to him who argues with his maker. Woo. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? No, I won't, Jack. I won't do that. <laughs> I'll surrender, baby. But it doesn't mean it's easy. But it came in the midnight hours. Many times it doesn't come in those convenience times, right? I was out burning grass with a friend of mine. It's the first time I've ever done it. So much fun burning stuff. I don't know why. Just a thing. I don't know. You know. But we were doing it. You know, they, they did the safety thing. And I don't know what all the names are. But we plowed some deal and we burned it to it. Anyways, I, I was talking. And they had these clumps of love grass that were dead. And what happened is they were depleted by the rain, by the weather. And they were virtually nutrient free. Okay. They were just garbage is what it meant. Just trash. Okay. And he said, this is the reason why we burn them, because these little green sprigs are coming up inside of them. And if we can burn all of that stuff that's been polluted by the world, by the environment, then our cows can get to that green sprig and get nourishment. That's where the nourishment is. And in our lives, we go through those different seasons where God's got to burn some stuff off of us. And this is the neat thing. Okay? Think about this. You, you, we burn the grass, and then that green grass comes up, and then the cow gets nourishment, and I eat the cow. That is so wonderful. Right? <laughs> that is great. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Right? But really what happens is it's so thick, it sustains itself, and it sustains somebody else. See, that's how Christ works in our life. As he burns stuff off of us, yeah, we can not only sustain ourselves and find out what we need, but then we can pour into other people. Right? And I got, man, let me just give you a word of advice. If you're ever going to advise somebody or give them advice, teach them why they're burning stuff is a great way to do it, man. I tell you, you really learn stuff. And another guy said, oh, I want to take you out to lunch. And he bought me fried catfish while he's giving me some advice. Fried catfish is another great way to get your point across, okay? Just, yeah, whatever you say, bro, and just keep eating it, man. It's great. I got it, man. I'll, I'll listen, okay? But sometimes he burns it off. But don't quit. Go after that, go after that purpose. 
Now, here's the thing. We capture our purpose in that season, in that moment for a lifetime. Now, this is the next thing, right? Your purpose can be difficult to surrender to. I believe in the gospel of grace. I do. But I believe that sometimes it's really hard to surrender to everything that God wants you to do. Oh, man. It's, and sometimes it's not as fun as it seems. Check the words out of Paul here. He's writing to Galatians. And, 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 and the Galatians were having some false teachers come in. And these were people that Paul personally evangelized. He went to them and he said he saw them turn their lives around and get saved and give their hearts to Jesus and follow after the grace and the goodness of God. And then some false teachers came in and said, no, you're doing it wrong. What you have to do is you have to do it by works and by the law. And God said, no, he freed us from the law. And that what we could not accomplish in the law, we did by Jesus Christ. I was dead in my trespasses. And then Christ gave me life through his resurrection. I don't know why I'm screaming. I'm sorry. (laughs) But look at these words. Check out these words. Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What strong verbiage. I have been crucified with Christ. Man, that's a violent term if you really think about it. That means I need to be going after my flesh. Paul said, I beat my flesh, I beat my flesh daily to get it into submission to where God can use me. Amen? Now, God can use me past all of that, and that's the goodness and the grace of it. But think about that. I've been crucified with Christ. That means I need to be serious about what I'm doing and be focused and be finding out my why. And be, 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 don't be going to man to figure out what your why is. Oh, my gosh, that's a horrible idea, okay? Men is like shifting sand. One thing up, one thing out, not very many, right? You can't go. I mean, go read self-help books and be inspired and all that other stuff, but we got to go back to the Word, go back to God. And then whenever he speaks it to us, we have to surrender to it. Amen? Amen. James 4 9 says it like this. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy heaviness. Take it serious. God, I hadn't been following you. I'm going to follow you. Now that you found me the why, I'm going to ask for your direction. And this is what James 4 and 10 says, right? Humble yourselves in the sight of God. He shall lift you up. What a great scripture. Amen? I do what he says, I take it serious, I humble myself, and then see the results as God begins to position you, as God begins to use you, amen? Have you guys ever, you know, I told you that story about Callie, you know, you, 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 we try to do good things and we just get caught up. See, that's the grace though. It is difficult to surrender and we're not always going to do the right thing at the right time. But God is gracious and he will guide us i got a video clip here that I want to show you. Two guys are out on a sales trip. They're, they've had a really hard time. They're doing what they can. Some of you guys are already laughing because you already know the clip I'm going to show. They're doing whatever they can to try to create sales for their company that they've inherited from their dad. And they're doing all these wonderful things. And they hit a deer in the car. So to be nice, they're thinking, I've got to take care of this deer. So they load up the deer in the back seat. And they're coming back from the sales trip. Let's see what happens. That guy might not call us. Can't believe he called me a psycho. Hey, were you in there just now? You are a psycho. And comb your hair. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say you did much better. Thought you were so cool. Watch and learn, he says. Well, I was watching. Know what I saw?
My car is completely destroyed. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> but sorry about your car, man. <laughs> Yeah, so sometimes we do things and it doesn't work out. But God is gracious to get us back on path, right? And then he'll even make us laugh at our mistakes and be like, well, ugh. Whenever four or five years ago, I guess six now, whenever I was deciding to make the transition down here, my wife and I was deciding to go back to work at Bray and making sure that it was what God wanted us to. We were praying through some things. And I was teaching and coaching in Wichita Falls. And my wife was teaching. And I had this guy on my, on my staff. He had a... Uh, Masters of Divinity, uh, and, and he was just a really smart, intelligent guy. Spent 17 years in the ministry, and then the last 17 years he'd spent in special ed. And I went up to him, and I, I approached him several times trying to want to know God's will for my life. And then how funny how we do that sometimes. What's God's will for my life? I don't know. Read the Bible. You know, it's, it's in there. You know, God will speak to you. Okay? But I went to him multiple times, and, and I was hoping, what I was hoping is he would say, Matt, I've prayed for you. I've done all the work. Here it is. And then angels would say, ah! and, you know, the lights would turn on, and it would just hit my hand and just be an amazing exchange. But instead, he said something I'll remember for the rest of my life. He looked at me, Matt, and he said, Matt, he looked at, Jim looked at me, he said, Matt, do you believe that God's telling you to do this? Yeah, I do. Then you got to trust him. You're at a point in your life where either you trust him or you don't. So you're either going to move down there and you're going to trust him, or you don't trust him. Which one is it? Man, I was hoping for, a, you know, a thesis or something, man, you know. But either you trust him or you don't. So whenever we find it's difficult to surrender, God, which way are you leading me? We're going to do the best we can. And we're going to surrender. Third thing, this is the cool thing, man. Once you find that why for your season, for your life, or whatever it is, it is going to be impossible to forget. Deuteronomy, I'm going to kick it old school here for a second. Deuteronomy 8 and 1, or 8 and 11 it says, take care lest you forget your Lord. Or, excuse me. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I've commanded you today. The way that we forget, the way that we mess up, is we keep, we, we get ourselves out of the word. We get ourselves away from things that feed us, that point us towards the cross and not away from it, right? But see, you will not forget it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany. He got ordained at 25 years old. That was 1931. Lost his life in 1944. He was at the rise of Hitler and his regime. And he was doing his best to fight it. And many people respected Pastor Bonhoeffer. In 1933, he even began to speak out about this because, you know, as the story goes, Germany was in a Great Depression like the rest of the world. Hitler arrives on the scene, begins to give people employment, begins to basically control the youth of Germany and begin to rise. His regime takes over, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, in particular, the dangerous of an idolatrous cult of the Fuhrer. He's talking about Adolf Hitler. The Fuhrer is another name for Adolf Hitler. And right there in mid-sentence, man, right in the mid, they, this was a radio broadcast, they cut him off. He had a lot of guts going up against this guy, but he still spoke. Why? Because I believe that Mr. Bonhoeffer understood his why. He understood it. Matter of fact, it even goes more, uh, he, goes, he wrote this book called The Cost of Discipleship. 
And he says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is the grace without the discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living incarnate. Later on in life, he, as the regime takes over, they wind up sending him to London and he comes back. He winds up in America. And he knows he's got to go back. He feels this constant urge to go back. He says, I've come to the conclusion that I've made a mistake in coming to America. Christians in Germany will have, no, will, will have to face the terrible alternative of either willing the defeat of their nation in order that Christian civilization may survive or willing the victory of their nation and thereby destroying civilization. I know which of these alternatives I must choose, but I cannot make the choice from security. Boards a ship, gets, goes back, winds up in Germany. Would love to say he got back there, but we know how the story goes because we've read the history books. Matter of fact, the way that they chose to take his life is to hang him by wire so it would even take a longer time for him to die. And the doctor that was at his execution said this, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, then climbed the few steps to the gallows. Brave and composed, his death ensured after a few seconds. It was almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor. I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Why? Because he knew his why. We read it in Scripture, right? Jesus, you can't, you can't go to Jerusalem. Man, you don't understand. They're going to kill you. I know, but i got to go. i, I got to go. It's my why. See, I told you this back before whenever I said that God sent me. But Paul, wait, you can't, you can't go before you can't go before Caesar because it's going to cost your life. I know. I've got to go. Hallelujah. I've got to go. It's this why that was so deep embedded in them that they didn't know how to shake it. Peter, Peter, don't you understand that you're going to die? It could cost you your life. You can be crucified upside down. Yes, I do. But I met Jesus. I've interacted with him. He showed me why I'm here. Yeah. It's in those moments whenever we're out of the will of God that brings us back. Think about the prodigal son. Such a beautiful story, and we've heard it, right, so many times. But if you think about it, he was there honoring his parents. He was in the parameters of honoring God. And then he decided to slip out of those parameters and chase man's desires. And he was in the parameters of man. Spent all of his money, found up morally bankrupt in a pig pen. Isn't that interesting that he was physically in a pig pen? Physically in parameters that would have been built by a man. He slipped out of them, and that's where he wound up. And this is the thing, though. He was in a place that he didn't want to be. He stunk a whole lot worse than he wanted to, right? Didn't have any money thinking about eating slop. But listen, the change, did, the change didn't happen when he just thought about it. It says that he came to his senses. That's not necessarily when the change happened. The change happened whenever he got up and decided to climb out of man's perimeters and get back up underneath the submissive will of God. That's when everything changed. Then he found that grace. Then he found that mercy. Then he found that, that dad with open arms waiting his arrival. But it's tough because we've got to go after our why. We have to ask God, 
that when I find it, please help me keep it. And then ultimately when I surrender to it, I know that I can't forget it. Doesn't matter if you're across an ocean like Mr. Bonhoeffer, you got to go back. Doesn't matter if you're in a pig pen like the prodigal son, doesn't matter if you're Jonah in the well. Now we got to be careful because if, when Jonah was spit up on, on the land, if he would have choose to continue to walk to Tarsus, he's still in rebellion. But he chose to walk to Nineveh because he heard the truth. Would you bow with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.